You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Foundation Radio is brought to you by 10th Ward Barbershop. Serving the historic 10th Ward in downtown Lawrenceville, 10th Ward Barbershop is a full-service barbershop offering quality haircuts, beard trims, and hot shaves. Adam gets his hair and beard trimmed by the owner of the shop, Ryan Kane, and he loves the laser point precision cuts and lineup he provides to him and countless other satisfied customers. But you don't have to take Adam's word for it. WWE superstars Corey Graves and The Fiend Bray Wyatt frequent 10th Ward for all their hair and beard trimming needs. Right now, all all cuts and trims are by appointment only. So head over to their website at 10thwardbarbershop.com and book your appointment now with Kane, Jordan, and the rest of the team at 10th Ward Barbershop. That's 10thwardbarbershop.com. And we thank them for supporting the podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Today's episode of Foundation Radio is brought to you by the law offices of Hawthorne, Stroman, and Rowe. Injured in a powerbomb through a table? Did a magic doctor take you on a quest to find a hammer and then disappear into the void? Call the law offices of Hawthorne, Stroman, and Rowe and get your free consultation today. Our attorneys are on call 24 hours a day, 7 days a week to handle all your legal needs. Copyright issues, personal injury, every tort case you can come up with. We'll litigate for the justice you deserve. Call today for your free consultation. 1-855-555-BOOK. That's 1-855-555-BOOK. The law offices of Hawthorne, Stroman, and Rowe. We wrestle with justice. one 555 book 1855 book Buy one, get one subject to terms and conditions. Not available in all states. Additional fees may apply. The law offices of Hawthorne, Stroman, and Rowe are not actually lawyers. If you experience an erection lasting longer than four hours, please consult your doctor. world and welcome to foundation radio my name is adam bernard thank you so much for joining us again today for another exciting episode of sam watches bad wrestling poorly i am joined here by the executive voice and co-executive producer of the show mr sam Kreps. sam Kreps, how are you sir thanks for coming back to watch more crappy wrestling <laughs> i'm making awkward faces at the camera because i'm very aware of the fact that someone actually might watch this now and not just <laughs> listen that's right to- this could be my, my ramblings. This will be programmed on Fight TV, and I don't exactly know what to do with my hands, but I know what to do right now is to fill you in about what we're going to watch today. It's going to be another addition to the Kreps Rating Scale TM. It is the episode of WCW Thunder, where David Arquette wins the WCW World Championship. Uh, this was a very controversial event. This took place on April 26, 2000. The match was between Diamond Dallas Page and David Arquette versus Jeff Jarrett and Eric Bischoff, and whoever got the pin, first pin, wins. Uh, Sam, are you familiar at all with David Arquette's involvement in professional wrestling? 
Um, you know, I briefly looked on Wikipedia just to see like dude seriously wrestled a little bit after so those of you that have never heard of this before, we're a few episodes into this in where Adam indoctrinates me into some of the worst wrestling. So far it's been primarily WCW. We've thrown a little WWE in there. And I was surprised to hear David Arquette's name get thrown in because it's not one that I associate with the wrestling kinds of things. So otherwise, no. Uh, as we've watched these, I've become more familiar with the the, the main characters of especially WCW now. Um, but you have to understand, I'm pretty much flying blind. Other than that, um, I appreciate this stuff for what it is, but. Um, I am the uninitiated, a term that we've used frequently on other programs. And if you want to go back and listen to the episodes that we've already done, we've watched the zombie zombie lumberjack match uh, from WrestleMania Backlash 2021. We've also watched World, World War III 1997 and arguably the worst wrestling match that I have ever seen as a fan, the Kennel from Hell match. You can go and listen to everything right now at foundationradio.net. You can check it out. Uh, but like Sam said, to echo that, we don't prep for this. We don't uh, advance watch. We don't do anything. What you hear is real-time reactions and real-time responses from Sam as we're watching this wrestling show. As a as a note for any new listeners and viewers, um, I'm a lifelong wrestling fan, watched professional wrestling since the time I was probably four or five years old, and Sam doesn't know shit about wrestling other than, other than what we've ever talked about. Me. I didn't even prep enough to find my rating scale on my phone right now. <laughs> well, I have it right here, and it's you'll see it right here on the screen. The uh, the Krebs rating scale TM or the KRS TM, as you'll hear it referred to. Uh, so the top the top one is uh, the zombie there lumberjack match, which is uh, what the Sam top, considered. It, to be clear, yeah. the top is what I consider the least worst. <laughs> the least worst match, right. So it goes top to bottom with the kennel from hell being the absolute worst. Uh, so I try to fill Sam in with a little bit of context here as far as what's coming up. So like I said, this was uh, April 26, 2000. Uh, the involvement of David Arquette started with the film that was made called Ready to Rumble, which was about a professional wrestling event. A wrestler was getting into... Uh, you know, the world of wrestling. Uh, David Arquette's been a long-time, lifelong wrestling fan, um, so he was trained by a couple of guys inside of WCW. One name you'll probably recognize is Diamond Dallas Page. Uh, also, Chris Canyon, um, and then Shane Helms, who was another uh, wrestler with the company at the time. Uh, David Arquette had a lot of strong feelings about winning the title. Um, he didn't want to be seen as somebody who we ended up becoming seen as, uh, inside the wrestling world, um, but he was uh, basically what they, the 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 plan was that he wasn't going to be allowed to do the shtick unless he won the title, and WCW wouldn't promote the event unless he won. So, have you ever seen Wrestle uh, Ready to Rumble before, Sam? Are you familiar with that that movie at all? I am not. It is a cheese fest and a half. Go out of your way to take a look at it if you can. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to look at the cast here: Oliver Platt, uh, Scott Kahn is in it, Rose McGowan. Uh, Joe Pantoliano and Martin Landau, uh, star-studded cast. It is a not a very good movie. Uh, lots of wrestling. Uh, friend of the show, Bill Goldberg is in the movie. Booker T, Randy Savage, uh, a ton of uh, WCW talent, and also an uncredited John Cena is in the movie. Pre John uh, Cena, <laughs> pre WWE fame. Uh, so I guess I'm trying to think of any other send up we can give here with this. Um, I'm not really sure what else we can do other than watch the match at this point. Uh, what are your initial thoughts about David Arquette 
and wrestling at this point? Well, first of all, I'm seeing that his character name in the movie Ready to Rumble is Gordy Boggs. Does does that become a wrestling persona for him, or is he just simply David Arquette? He's just sim- simply David Arquette. He just comes in. So it's basically like a cross-promotional event, right? It's, so it's not like they, they introduce him and instead of John Cena, it's Gordy Boggs. <laughs> no, it's just David Arquette. Just him coming right. in and David. Oh, good for David. Yeah. And listen, good, good this is, him. I want to be clear about this too. This is not an episode where we're going to shit all over David Arquette. I really enjoy David Arquette. Um, there's a great documentary yeah. he made uh, about his wrestling career, um, which is called You Cannot Kill David Arquette. It's absolutely fantastic. I think it's great. Um, and I absolutely love the guy. I just don't necessarily know how I feel about, you know, the big argument with this, and we'll talk about it more post match, but the big argument with this was that, you know, it took some of the prestige and some of the luster off of, you know, this esteemed championship belt. Uh, and a lot of hardcore wrestling fans felt really, really some kind of way about this. And it, it tanked his career pretty much for, I mean, up until current day at this point. Interesting. Yeah. I so, will say. I, I got stuck on the the stats on the IMDb page about the movie Ready to Rumble, and I will say that the only thing I see going for it is um, not only thing I shouldn't say because I also have no problem with David Arquette, but the writer of Ready to Rumble wrote some of my favorite movies in all three of the Mighty Ducks movies as well as Heavyweights. Really. Um, Yes, as well as uh, he's actually respond, one of the people responsible for most of the creative that became the Mighty Ducks franchise. Oh, no shit. So, Look at this. Yeah, I, Stephen Brill. I'm a fan. And uh, yeah, and he also wrote another one of the dumbest movies that I absolutely adore, and that's Little Nicky, because <laughs> I am a 33-year-old man who is comfortable enough in his in his self to admit that I love me a good, awful Adam Sandler movie <laughs> any day, any day of the so, week, twice on Sunday, sir. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, so I have to check that out. I, I have no like reason to care one way or the other about David Arquette. Like he's never done anything to affect my life in a negative way. Um, so I'm going to probably be viewing, viewing this fairly objectively as far as my views of, uh, how these promotions do what they do. So I'm curious to see what's up next, which is the graphic (laughs) that I'm seeing. Ready to Rumble got a 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Sports Illustrated uh, referred to this as one of the uh, worst moments in professional wrestling and a publicity stunt going wrong forever associated with the death of WCW. Uh, I have to clarify and sort of quantify that because that's I wouldn't say that this at all really affected the trajectory or the death of WCW. Um, if you want to read the most comprehensive comprehensive book about the death of WCW, go pick up Nitro by Guy Evans. It's a fantastic read. It has all the information about what happened when WCW went out of business, but this definitely didn't help creative in any way. Uh, and well, it definitely and didn't I, help if, bring if fans could, back. If I could pick four words that describe the death of WCW, they are finger poke of and doom. <laughs> Sam had a lot of thoughts about that one, and I'm hoping I can get that episode on before this one. So go ahead and check that out in the archives right now at foundationradio.net. Lots of comments on this, and I'm going to save one of them for the end because I want to get your analysis after we watch the match. Uh, But Bobby Heenan, former WCW Bobby uh, commentator Bobby Heenan, uh, referred to the storyline in the vein of Hee Haw and said that they might as well have had Buck Owens picking at his guitar while wrestlers jumped out of the corn. 
Uh, so somebody <laughs> even inside of the company uh, hated this. So, all right, I'm going to stop talking and rambling here. We're going to get right into David Arquette winning the WCW title. If you want to watch this uh, on your own free time, go on over to PeacockTV.com. Type in WCW Thunder. You're going to go to season three, and you're going to find April 26, 2000. Our starting marker point is one hour, 20 minutes, and 36 seconds. But don't do that for a long time. Watch Fight TV for hours and hours and hours, and then watch Fight TV some more. And then, you know, after you've watched everything that you could possibly watch on Fight TV, and you're just, you know... You're good for like, you got like 20 spare minutes between the next thing on Fight TV. Check this out. Absolutely. I agree with that, Sam. (laughs) We're going to come back in a second after the jump here, and we'll see and we'll talk more about David Arquette winning the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. And we're back. Welcome back. Foundation on Fight. Watching David Arquette win the WCW World's Heavyweight Championship. Sam Kreps. The executive voice of the show. How are we feeling right now, brother? Indifferent. It was a. <laughs> it was one where it took. I couldn't take it all in for its face value because I needed a little bit of context. However, I will add in. Um, I feel as though there's lacking any quality of, um gender equality that is in uniforms i think that the ma- the male officiators officiators that's a word i made up that's um, good it's a good word we'll write it down for officials next week. should also be subject to the uh the quote-unquote slingshot uniform that uh ddp's <laughs> wife had to wear <laughs> a couple of things that just didn't age yeah. very well in that one there's but, a lot uh, of stuff from the attitude era that doesn't really age that well man yeah and we're gonna get into a lot just, of it too me just like you know completely claw you in the face and like stick my tongue down your throat <laughs> that always goes over real well but sure. yeah i don't know oh, it sure. was like it wasn't the worst wrestling match ever um uh you know bischoff's not a wrestler so i'm not going to completely shit on him or anything but like his having to get in the ring doesn't really get me excited um I prefer his place in the booth personally. Um, but, you know, he's doing what he needs to, to to sell the match. I can't really knock him for that. But, you know, they did one of the biggest tropes about the the TV broadcast that drives me nuts. Let's have action in the ring, and then let's pull one of – it's a four-way match. Let's pull one of the wrestlers completely backstage – and take all the focus away from the ring. But this one was even stranger because that was, uh, which one am I thinking? Doomsday Cage is where they just kept going backstage, and it's like, what are you doing? Um, yeah, they kept, like, moving around and, like, they and, kept, yeah, like, going up everywhere. and down. Yeah. But in this, at least, I'll give them credit for not completely buying into that. I don't know if they were tethered on uh, a handheld camera or what, but... They at least mostly stayed with the ring. But what you had happen was Bischoff comes back out and he has to like put his hands up like, it's okay, everybody. He's taken care of. It's like now, like now I'm not buying it. Even if I do hate when they go like, oh, let's go backstage and like sit on each other for a while. Um, He kind of just walks back out. Sans Arquette, like 
Nope. Oh, we're good. And then I'm going to do airplane arms for a while. <laughs> um, I wasn't really sure what that was either. I wasn't, yeah, wasn't sure. Was, I think it was hamming it up. Knowing, but... Speaking of not knowing what to do with your hands, but um, <laughs> I'm still he not sure. Just, he kind of waltzes back out, hops in the ring and starts, uh, starts wrestling again. And then, um, and forgive me, I forget who, who's the other guy other than DDP that was in uh, there. That'd be Jeff Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett. So, um, they were in the ring the whole time, putting on the kind of uh, event that you maybe would expect to see. And then there's Eric Bischoff and David Arquette. And Arquette comes back out. And now I'm explaining this from my very layman, not really understanding the rules context. Arquette just kind of comes out of nowhere, and apparently he wins because he pins Eric Bischoff. Correct. Thus rendering the five minutes we watch of... DDP and Jeff Jarrett, like, I guess, pinning each other. It's hard to say because I thought there was like two different times where the official Kimberly page comes out and uh, does a quick count. And everyone, including the broadcasters, are just focused on the fact that half of her ass is hanging out while she's smacking the mat. I thought she did three or two different quick counts that would have considered it to be a pin. I was like, oh, okay, is this over? Um, but it wasn't. And then, yeah, Arquette comes out and pins Bischoff, and it's apparently over now. And apparently DDP thinks that's amusing, and we all go out into the crowd to greet everyone. And at that point, you realize that David Arquette and Kimberly are wearing the same pants. Um, (laughs) And if you don't believe me, seriously, go back and watch. There's even a part where David Arquette, Arquette's ass is hanging out in uh, <laughs> less flattering light. I would have said he might have benefited from a slingshot too. Um, so I'm looking at historically on the KRSTM TM where where we where we might stand. Well, one and, other question. One other question I want to ask you before we sure. before we rank this though is that there were, you know again as I mentioned at the beginning of the uh, the the pre show pre part. Of the wrestling match, pre-pre-show, green room show. Um, This was really poorly received by just about everybody. Uh, Jeff Jarrett, actually, in the Nitro book, mentioned that this, to him, was successful, that he liked it, because it reminded him of the Andy Kaufman storylines from back in the 1980s, which I'm sure you're probably familiar with. I actually am very familiar with those. And Andy Kaufman was the the women's world champion, and there was a whole storyline with Jerry Lawler. I don't. Well, I was going to say I can actually name drop that when I used to work in radio, we had Jerry Lawler on our morning show pretty frequently, and they would always ask. I was an assistant on the morning show, and they would always ask about his Andy Kaufman experiences as comedians, and it was fun to hear him talk about that. I'm sure. I mean, it was an incredible. It's 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 arguably one of the most famous mainstream wrestling storylines outside of like a Hulk Hogan and Mr. T or Cindy Lauper at WrestleMania one, um, or even maybe to bring into current context, Johnny Knoxville just recently at WrestleMania 38, um, which if you haven't watched that match, friends, you have to fucking stop what you're doing and go watch it and then come back. Uh, but in any event, uh, Andy Kaufman, I I disagree with that completely because I feel like Andy Kaufman and the Jerry Lawler storylines and Andy Kaufman and the world's women's the women's world champion storyline, it actually went on for a long time. Like it wasn't just as really brief. Hey, let's throw the belt on, you know, Andy Kaufman in the middle of the ring. It went on until Andy Kaufman died. Right. Well, let me, let me ask Lawler wouldn't peel back the curtain on that until like 
wasn't like 20 years it was, later. It was completely sold. Yeah. And they, they sold it everywhere. Yes. Like even, I don't even, I have Letterman. to, I was going to say, I have to go back and, and do my, my historical analysis and research on that, but I'm pretty sure Letterman wasn't clued in on that. The only people that knew were Andy Kaufman, Jerry Lawler, and I think Andy Kaufman's like assistant that it was all a work and everybody else is watching this at home and going, holy shit, they're really selling this. They're really yeah, no, selling my, this. My understanding of that is the same, that David Letterman was not in on Lawler and Kaufman's thing, which at the time, if you watch it completely out of context, you don't realize like they sell that so well. Yeah. I would have never guessed that Jerry Lawler was in on it. Yeah. yeah and most people didn't. That Andy Kaufman was an outsider. He played that outsider role, that sort of thumb my nose up at the way this is supposed to work to just about everything. So, and I can think that's part of why I couldn't compare this to that either. Cause uh, we kind of went off the rails. You didn't actually get to ask me anything. But, <laughs> that's all right. Well, let me officially um, ask you then, Sam, sure. uh, what is your opinion on the comparison that Jeff Jarrett made between Andy Kaufman's uh, Continental Wrestling Association uh, matches and the Jerry Lawler stuff and this match with with David Arquette winning the WCW Good. title. I, I'm glad you asked because that's what I was going to answer. Excellent. Um, I don't see much of a com- I appreciate the comparison if that's what they were going for. However, David Arquette is not the kind of character that Andy Kaufman was. Andy Kaufman's entire public existence was a character. And he, when he committed to something like this, there was no like inner circle of like these people that would then leak it to like anybody like, Oh yeah, this is an act like Andy Kaufman lived his bits. And while David Arquette has an appreciation for wrestling, he wasn't there to, he wasn't there to be a punk ass about it, so to speak, like for lack of a better quick term for me it's like i think of andy coffin as like a punk ass it's like i'm not going to follow anyone's rules i'm going to do the thing i think is hilarious and the most minimal amount of people that need to be on my side of this as possible is the way we want to go where i don't think i don't think arquette thought he was being funny well, no, I, I think Arquette, and this speaks to a lot of the, the um, controversy sometimes that comes up with celebrity, celebrity involvement inside of professional wrestling. You know, like I said, we mentioned Johnny Knoxville. There's also Bad Bunny, uh, Cindy Lauper, Lawrence Taylor. There's been a long history of celebrities and sports figures that are involved in professional wrestling. Uh, when it's done right, like an Andy Kaufman or a Johnny Knoxville, it's done really right. And it's really good because it's believable. Um, the storylines make sense. And everything connects in a way that is going to entertain and bring other fans in uh, of maybe like Jackass or of an Andy Kaufman, bring them in to see what's going on. Right. This didn't hit any of those marks for me. This there was there was no, no. like long term story. What was the point really of putting the belt on Arquette other than the shock value? The shock value lasts for maybe five minutes and you're like, all right, well, what are we going to do now? You know, you can't, yeah. there's no way to long-term book a story like that and make it believable in, you know, in a, in a way that's going to sell and then attract other viewers. Cause that's ultimately the point of this, right? You're trying to yeah, bring I think people got, in. I think you got that exactly right. I mean, especially with the recent, um, WrestleMania stuff, excuse me. Um, Johnny Knoxville has, a, a following that, 
is adjacent enough to something like pro wrestling that, you know, I'm a fan of jackass. I'm not a fan of like, by definition, a fan of pro wrestling. I'm an appreciator, but I don't just like watch it out of the blue. Usually I did actually happen to catch uh, Knoxville on the uh, recent episode of Nitro that was shot in Hershey. And that kind of drew me in and I was more curious about the storyline. I don't think that, and, and maybe it's because it was sort of a cultural phenomenon in Jackass too. I don't think that David Arquette has the kind of like, I don't think there's just David Arquette fans sitting around waiting for like his next thing to be, like I, I just I don't see him having like a fan club that's waiting for him to to do something like that, and it's not meant to, you know, speak poorly of his career or anything like that. It's just I don't think he has the same like social capital, you, right? You like it's t- like celebrity you could capital. Take his name and so you could take his name and replace it with a lot of other actors that might have an interest in wrestling and. I don't think the result is any different. It's not to speak poorly of his having been a part of it. It's just, you know, what if it was like <laughs> you could have put Scott Kahn in there and it would have been like, okay, you know, like, right. well, fine. Okay. Now what is like you said, it's like five minutes of this is weird. Like, well, that's again, that's the thing. It's, it's the idea that um, David Arquette, like you, like basically what you said, he doesn't have that same like celebrity or, Social capital, even at the time. Yeah. I mean, if you want to put it in, into context at the time in the year 2000, I think I don't even know when the Scream movie had come out. I know that he was a lot more in focus at that time. But even still, I don't think that there was a clamoring or that they even built the storyline appropriately. You know, he just shows essentially just shows up about a week uh, and a half yeah. before. And it's like, OK, well, here's David Arquette as a part of this Ready to Rumble movie. And then they put him in a world title picture, and then he wins. It's like, well, wait a second. Wait, why are we hotshotting this? You know, the magic of Johnny Knoxville and to, to compare it, I guess, to the to the one of the best ones they've ever done. To compare it to the Johnny Knoxville and Sami Zayn storyline, there was a long build towards that, and because it got over so much, because Johnny Knoxville every and that's what Sami Zayn has said in a couple of interviews, and people inside of the the, the WWE have said Johnny Knoxville got the biggest pops of anybody of the night, and it's because he is a very popular very recognizable individual. So they bring him in to do WrestleMania and then he becomes, it's becomes one of the highlights of the entire weekend. That to me makes well, let's sense. Let's be real. <laughs> let's be real of anybody. Uh, Cause I, I didn't, I still haven't watched WrestleMania, but again, that nitro that I watched in Hershey is it SmackDown. Um, you're thinking Cause you're, you, nitro, you think it's SmackDown nitro. What am I saying? You're saying yeah. nitro. You should be Mo- thinking SmackDown. Monday nitro. No, well, wasn't it? It was raw. Oh, Monday night raw. Yes. Monday night raw. Yeah. Raw. I, yeah. See, uh, newbie, but, uh, <laughs> Sam watches bad wrestling poorly. Sam says bad wrestling show titles poorly <laughs> sponsored by Snickers. Um, <laughs> um, but I was gonna say Knoxville, takes real shots to the head yeah. all the time for his own career. So it's pretty believable when one of these wrestlers just actually kind of opens up on him and maybe actually knocks him out because he's not afraid of that happening to him. I mean, he's obviously not like looking to get knocked out, but like, when he takes a shot to the head, he's really taking a freaking shot to the head. 
Yeah, it's that, not just that, like some actor selling it. That kick that Sami Zayn gave to him in the one point, I think it was a SmackDown when he showed up for Sami Zayn's Intercontinental Championship celebration. Um, he ate yes. that boot. He ate that boot yeah. to the face. There was no, that was not gimmicked. That was not something where he was like, no, take it easy on me. I mean, and, and we, you know, full disclosure, we ancillarily were involved in some of the jackass shenanigans inside of Westchester. Ancillarily. Ancillarily. I think I made that word up too. But I mean, no, they did that shit all the time to each other. Like, and it was real. Like they were really hurting each other. And there is not a chance in hell that Knoxville didn't say, give me that kick to the face as hard as you can. Like make it look as real as possible. Yeah. Yeah. But that's again, that's the beauty of why Knoxville worked and bad bunny too. bad bunny is one of the most recognizable pop stars in the world. Gives a fucking Canadian destroyer to John Morrison at WrestleMania last year. And it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And there's another guy who they worked into the story. They worked into the crowd. They got everybody excited to see Bad Bunny. And it paid off exactly like they thought it was going to do. And this just, it it missed the mark. But it it seems to be kind of part and parcel for this time in WCW when they're really going off the rails. And Vince Russo is just throwing shit at the wall and see what's going to stick. And it's just, it's just not good. It just didn't land for me. Um, Any other final thoughts on David Arquette winning before we rank this one? Uh, not especially. I didn't like all the black eye makeup. Yeah. Because I'm assuming that was makeup because he didn't start the show that way. And you don't just get a whole purple face over the course of an hour. Right. So that was a little bit much, uh, unless, you know, you know, screw me if that's all real and I don't act, but now I wasn't really buying it. I don't know why they would let, why any agent would let David Arquette get his face actually smashed in. But um, that was extra. Um, And yeah, otherwise not the worst wrestling match, but like too confusing elements of it that annoy me as a television production mind. And um just at the end, a confusing result that left me indifferent. So where would you rank this one on the uh, Kreps rating scale? This one goes pretty high, and by pretty high, I mean not, like, least worst. I'm going to put this one between Goldberg and Undertaker and World War Three ninety seven. Interesting. All right, so the third so, least worst. Third least worst. Goldberg and Undertaker ultimately still a better packaged match zombie lumberjack i still don't give as much hate to as a lot of the others but it's not as bad as world war three world war three is ridiculous um (laughs) mostly from and i you have to understand uh fans of fight that i'm not just ranking this based on you know, the wrestling world's interpretation and how the crowd is responding. Because admittedly, I'm a little bit dense as to how the crowd responds. Like Adam was pointing out to me while we were watching this match that the crowd was kind of angry and it hadn't really occurred to me at first. It was just like, oh, they're kind of mobbing those guys. They walked the crowd, but they're just like pissed everybody. And that part of it doesn't necessarily resonate with me. So when the crowd isn't into it, that adds something for it to like I if I notice that that adds something but for me a lot of it too is as a television viewer what the presentation is like and 
World War Three gets as bad a marks as it does for me because of how it was presented on television. Same as uh, Doomsday Cage, Oof. which we watched previously, which is Doomsday Cage is the worst television presentation of a wrestling match ever, in my opinion, period. Um, I mean, Kendall from Hell, I consider to be the worst still, but it's not as bad a television presentation it can at least be shown on tv in a way that is you know you can actually watch it so this one's pretty bad um it's a little confusing the we didn't listen to a ton of it but the i can't give a whole lot of good marks to the uh the commentary the play-by-play and the color um they spent way too much time focused on ddp's wife's ass um, they, which they're selling to their audience, but like, right. definitely didn't age well. Like it didn't add sell, anything to the, to the, to well, the match. Yeah. You know, social commentaries aside, it didn't necessarily add anything to the match, but yeah, you're trying to sell a sports entertainment business and you know, that being right in front of you is obvious in my opinion as a fellow broadcaster, uh, <laughs> make sure so you use lo- the radio voice. Use the radio voice. Well, yes, that, that's always <laughs> the case. But uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not—it's not the worst wrestling. Like, I can't throw any shade to uh, to, to Diamond Dallas Page and to uh, um, the guy whose name I forgot again. Jeff Jarrett. Je- Jarrett. Yeah. Sorry, National Bohemian is starting to flood my brain a little bit. <laughs> Oh boy. But yeah, so like I can't and I can't even necessarily throw a ton of shade to Bischoff. No. His wrestling is lame and so and he's honestly, not even a wrestler, less, right? He gets less points for that freaking outfit. The <laughs> Nike cut-off sleeves and Adidas sw- like track pants, like wind pants, like bro, you can't mix your Nike and your Adidas in one outfit. And I'm not even like that fresh with my clothing or anything. I I don't drip as the children say now. Um, Here at Foundation Radio, we try to stay hip with the kids. I drip for other reasons. <laughs> Allergies. <laughs> Old age. Did you take your allergy medicine today, Sam? Did you make sure you took it? No, you did this? that's why I'm that's why I drip today. <laughs> but uh let me tell you about my drip. Um no, but no, Bischoff's outfit was atrocious. Yeah. First of all, like all black, fine, whatever. I do, I wear that all the time. I can't really cast that stone. But what Adidas and Nike together, that's like wearing like I don't even know what to compare it to, but you don't do it in my opinion. It's like mixing so, Pepsi with Coke. It it is. It's like, well, yeah, it's like you know, you you would go to a birthday party, and for some reason, they bought both Pepsi and Coke, and the two liter bottle is almost empty. So you top off your Pepsi with some Coke. It's like <laughs> you just don't do it. It's not right, um, and especially in the year of our Lord two thousand. Like <laughs> nowadays, you might get away with it, but we're talking like prime sports branding in my yeah. mind. Right, anyway, but. Anyway, I don't want to completely shit on him. It's not like he did anything that bad. No. But uh, other than the way he was staring at the camera after he lost, that was a little silly. But 
he's on camera. What are you going to do? <laughs> I mean, they're, they're focused on him in the ring, having yeah. been pinned, you know, you're in front of an arena of people. Opera distance would typically give you a little bit more license, but they got a camera shoved in his face. So it's like, <laughs> I, I, I can't like actually take that many marks from him because I love the guy, but like, yeah. Man, that did not that did not give him more cred in my mind because I like I said, I think his place was the booth. I think his part in Nitro is one of my favorites in uh, giving away all of the WWF results while they were live on TNT. I think that is one of my favorite like middle finger to the establishment kinds of things yeah speaking of things that most people would say you don't do that's one of my favorites so, honestly man um, people still get pissed about that too in the in the year of our lord I 2022 like, oh, yeah. gave away the results it's like well wouldn't you i absolutely love that movie. trying that's to win a fucking war favorite. man out of all of the like stuff i've learned about pro wrestling i think that is hilarious yep. i think it's brilliant and it, it's why he gets the credit that he does. But anyway, get off of him a little bit. Um, it's not the worst wrestling. That's what it comes down to. I couldn't I couldn't put it any lower for the sake of the fact that two of the wrestlers in this match did sell a pretty decent match. So on the screen right now, you'll see the updated KRSTM to include David Arquette winning the WCW title in between Goldberg versus Undertaker and World War III 1997. My brother in Christ, Sam Kreps, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, next time we do another Sam Watches Bad Wrestling Poorly, I'm going to throw a really terrible one at you here from Survivor Series 1994. It's the Royal Family, which, in, which includes Cheesy, Queasy, and Sleazy. And the team is led by Jerry the King Lawler versus Clowns R Us, which is... Oh, I think I know some of them. Which is Dink, Pink, and Wink the Clown, led yeah. by Doink the Clown. So oh, I, Super Nintendo, I, I know all about the clowns. I want you to keep that in the front of your brain for next time. Uh, if you like the show, go ahead and give us a follow at Foundation Radio FND Radio Pod on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at this is Goober, and you can find Sam on Instagram at Slam B Craps. Go ahead to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Foundation Radio, pick up a shirt, and support the show. Sam, I always appreciate your time, sir. Thank you for being here, and we will see you again for another exciting edition of Foundation Radio on Fight, and Sam watches bad wrestling poorly. Peace. If I join t Twitter, do I get to be an astronaut now? Uh, I guess so. I think that's the way it's going to be. I, I'm waiting for my astronaut card to show up and my blue check mark. So I whenever need, that happens, I'd, I'd like two Teslas and an astronaut card, please, <laughs> Elon. Thank Elon, you. if you're watching the show, we appreciate you and we appreciate you out there. Thank you so much. We'll see you again next week. Peace. Bye. Foundation Radio is hosted, recorded, and executive produced by Adam Barnard. The show is also produced by Sam Kreps. Special thanks to Greg Mead, Joe Keen, Jeff Quinn, and Dr. Ruth Almy. Our intro and outro music is produced by Dumb Ugly. Find this episode and our full archive at foundationradio.net. Follow us on Instagram at foundation underscore radio. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your favorite podcasts. This has been a Foundation Radio production. Butts Carlton, proprietor. Butts Carlton, proprietor.